Welcome to Valley Through Vulnerability. I'm your host, Gary Turner, and today I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Louise Karunwi from the Huntos Group, where she is talent development, leadership coach, and entrepreneur. Found Louise such a fascinating character, someone that's come from management consulting and is now working in her own practice. I just found it really, really interesting as we delved into a range of topics, including inclusion, leadership, culture, personal development, vulnerability, and a really big discussion topic was around belonging. I just found her a really inspiring person to talk to and particularly enjoyed how she was, was, was talking about the fact how she's fearless. And I think it's just really, really powerful to hear someone being so direct and confident about the fact that they are fearless. I think it's so inspiring and clearly shows how she's ended up where she's at serving organizations to more inclusive, better versions of themselves. So do dive in. I believe you're going to find this really interesting and uh, look forward to any feedback that you may be able to offer to Louise or myself. Thanks very much and speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Louise Karunwi, who is the founder of the Huntos Group. She leads a talent development. She's a leadership coach and also an entrepreneur, and in fact, has her own podcast called Comeback Nation. So welcome and good morning, Louise. Hello, hello. Thank you for welcoming me. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to it. Lovely. Well, now, thank you for joining me, Louise. Look, so as we get going, would you mind just giving the listeners a bit of a rundown? So who is Louise? What's your background? What are you passionate about? Sure. So I began my career in management consulting, uh, helping large organizations to implement big transformation and big change. And part of my work used to involve training people in new processes and new behaviors. And something I found is that pretty much every single project, program, transformation I worked on was dependent and incumbent upon people and people being able to process that change and accept that change and also just get on. And I took some time out to really reflect on where my biggest passions were. And I realized that I was more passionate about people than things. And so I did a bit of a career pivot and started to do uh, training and upskilling that was more around the people side. So I took qualifications in learning and development, uh, coaching, and I'm currently doing a master's in business psychology. So that's where I am now. And in the process of doing that, I started up my own business uh, as well. That's amazing. So it's, what, was, what was it that sort of spurred you to go from that, that sort of management consulting, quite, I would imagine, logical, process-driven to dealing with these messy human beings, Louise? What was the sort of pivot <laughs> for you? What, 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 what sort of really drove you to, to, to take, take, make that change? It's always been my interest. I've always been interested in people, why they do what they do, how they think, how you can change and impact behaviours. And for me, it was just a, a moment where I wanted to align my work with who I was and align my work with more of what I was interested in. Not that there's anything wrong in, in, in doing the opposite, but for me, it just 
came a point where it just made sense to do that and that's what I wanted to do uh, I don't know maybe I was hitting uh, milestone age <laughs> maybe that that played a part in it but yes I just wanted my my work to be more aligned with my values my interests my innate passions and I just felt that I wanted to make that transition and I've always been quite a fearless person probably someone that people look at and think is a bit crazy because of some of the decisions that I make but um, I've always been that way and so for me it was a natural thing to do and uh, yeah I made that pivot. So, so if you don't mind me exploring that a little bit with you Louise I'm quite interested so there's a lot of talk at the moment around values alignment, you know, trying to align your personal values with the organisation values, etc. You know, what do some of those values look like for you? Um, if you don't mind exploring those with you, I know inclusion is a big part of sort of your, your passion, I believe. Mm, absolutely. Inclusion, inclusion more than diversity, uh, because you can have as much diversity as you want. But if everything isn't working together, if you're not leveraging the the benefits of, of that diversity, it's pretty redundant. And so I'm, I'd say I'm definitely more of a champion of inclusion than just diversity. And inclusion's harder because it involves a change in the hearts and minds of people to be able to say, okay, there's someone who's different and distinct to me, uh, but I'm gonna work with them. And I believe there's value in them. I think there's something they can add. And I'm gonna look beyond uh, how they look. I'm gonna look beyond the fact that they're different and find out a way to include them. And I believe heavily and massively in the power of belonging when it comes to being able to get the best out of people and teams. In fact, my dissertation is going to be on this very uh, specific topic. I'm gonna to be doing a lot of research into it. Uh, and so I would say that definitely inclusion is, is one of them. I would say another you know, key value of mine is integrity. Um, and again, I think that being able to lead an organization or build an organization that has any level of values that they stick to begins with and ends with people. And building in people values that align, yes, with the organization, but values that they live out as well. Uh, so what I mean by that is it's all very well and good for an organization to establish values, but unless it is embedded in your people, unless it is something your people live out and believe in, it's redundant. Uh, and so I think being able to be a person of integrity, for me, that just means you're the same person when you're alone as when, you know, you've got people around you doing pretty much say the same things. Um, and I think that links very nicely with vulnerability. I think integrity gives way to that. Uh, so those things are, are also very important to me. I think just being good as well, just being good to people, being fair, uh, is something that's really important. And I wouldn't say that I subscribe to, uh, we, none of us are perfect, right? But I wouldn't say that I subscribe to uh, achieving goals for the sake of relationship you know so these are some of the values that I hold dear and that are important to me um, other values as well are working hard uh, and doing your best to be excellent 
Uh, and the reason I say that is because we did just have a chat before this podcast about some perfectionists that I'm around. <laughs> and I think it's very easy. I think there's a difference between perfectionism and excellence. You know, perfectionism is driven by typically fear. Um, it's typically driven by some level of uh, need for approval or acceptance, some level of insecurity. Whereas driving for excellence, you're more driven by the cause. You're more driven by a vision. That is more what is inspiring you and pushing you. And so it's beyond you. It's not about you. It's not about you getting everything right. And in fact, actually, if we're driving towards excellence, we may accept that there may be some things we get wrong in the process. And it's okay because then we can fine tune things and, and make them better. Uh, so I prefer to have excellence as a value of mine rather than perfectionism. And I like to make that distinction. It's a really great distinction to make, actually, and thank you, thank you for doing that, because there's definitely this piece for me around ego. It's like you can be excellent and, like you say, be vulnerable enough to know you have to learn through mistakes. And we'll talk a bit about failure today. I know yeah. another passion of yours. But perfectionism mm. for me is totally ego-driven. So there's yeah. a really, really interesting sort of pivot there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's so important, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about teams as well and how they work together. And I guess that also ties in with inclusion. But it's so important to also consider how our actions impact those around us. And again, I think that driving for excellence has the ability to rally people around for a mission, for a shared vision. It has the ability to encourage people and, and make them passionate. Whereas, you know, rightly to your point, perfectionism is about more about ego, more about self. And I'm not berating any perfectionist I am a recovered perfectionist so I know I know what it's like and I know um, what it means but yes if we're going to be completely honest uh, it is it does sit more in that camp of ego and self and you know like I said fear um, fear of rejection for a failure and different things like that it's just something I'm really excited. Anyone that listens to this podcast, you know, and I, I've said a number of times, these little hairs, I don't have anything going on end. It's happening again <laughs> with you, Louise, because the congruence, the absolute congruence of what you've described to me is wonderful. So like you're talking about your dissertation on belonging. You're talking about trying to make, you know, the world of work and individuals more just, more inclusive, you know, with more integrity. There's something there about being able to be seen, isn't there? There's something about you being able to be yourself and not have to hide and wear masks. Is, is, that, is that a fair comment? I think that that is incredibly important. I think that everyone has to do some degree of self-adjustment when they are in the workplace or when they're out in the world. Some degree. Because you also have to be respectful of maybe people's cultures or the way that people do things and be mindful of things like that you know any organization you enter you need to be mindful of their culture and how they do things but when we are engaging in some degree of self-adjustment in order to be respectful of other people perhaps and it's to the detriment of who we are it's to the detriment of our core it's to the detriment of us being able to develop as people then that's when it becomes problematic because if I'm wearing a mask I'm not being myself how can I expose my flaws enough to be developed, to be corrected, to grow, to evolve. Everything is hidden. And so I'm not exposing myself enough to experiences 
to, to grow and to learn and to evolve. And unfortunately, in order to grow and learn and evolve, we do have to expose even our flaws. We do have to expose even the things that aren't so great, that don't look so good. And although it's scary, I think that's why it's so important when you're in an environment of belonging, you feel safe to do it. You feel safe to expose things that are great about you and things that aren't great about you. And when you are you know, corrected or challenged or whatever it is, when you know you're in that environment of belonging, you don't want to react in such a negative way. And you're more likely to receive and accept what you're being told. Um, again, in a culture of belonging, people are more likely to when they do want to say challenge or correct, they're more likely to do it in a way where they're considering not just their own self-centered needs, but also the needs of that other individual and the organization. So for example, you know, when I was uh, getting married, someone told me, if you ever want to change your husband, if there's any, ever anything about your husband that you want to change or, or highlight, Make sure it's not just for your own selfish needs. Make sure you're also doing it considering how it might help him as a person and what he might need. Um, and then also your family, how it might help your family. And I'll end on this. The reason I say that is because every single personality trait we have that is maybe negative tends to have some good uh, element to it as well. So someone who is maybe quite loud and outspoken, maybe it's not the best. They need to learn how to have some restraint so other people can speak to and so they can listen more. But it's going to have some positive um, repercussions to it in the sense that they're great at presenting, you know, or when there is an injustice, they speak up and you want them on your team for those reasons. So I say that because we have to be careful in, you know, in sort of challenging and, and correcting people when they expose their vulnerabilities, you have to be careful in, in, in not doing it in a way that almost eradicates the, the benefits that also comes from some of those personality traits as well. And that's why selfishness has to be left at the door and we have to consider what's, what's the best for that person or the organization and whatnot. Um, but there are many things that come with um, belonging and and feeling that you can be vulnerable enough to be yourself and expose the, the dark sides to who you are, the, the not so great sides to who you are, means that they can be challenged, means that you can grow, means that you can be developed and evolve as a person. And it means that you can also have your strengths become even stronger. That's, that's lovely. I remember one of my... Um... One of my development areas, Louise, over the last few years has been around being impulsive. And that's mm. something I've spent quite a lot of time on because I didn't think I was being as impulsive as I was. But the feedback mm. for me, the data point, was the avoidance. So I found that people tended to avoid me more a couple of years ago oh. because mm. of mm. how, and on reflection with some coaching, I was, they helped me pinpoint actually where that's coming from, what was driving that behavior. Yeah. And again, feedback's hard, isn't it? You know, feedback's quite an art to be delivered well and to take it well. A hundred percent. And that's why I do believe that before we even give feedback, we need to check ourselves. You know, like I touched upon it. What's, what's our motivation? Do we genuinely care about that person? 
um, or the organization, whatever it is, or are we trying to almost manipulate circumstances so it benefits us and not necessarily that other individual? So that's just one of the things when it comes to feedback. Definitely, it's, it's an art and it almost can't be too personal. Like, and I guess that's why having a coach is great because there's someone who, you know, it's their only um, goal is actually just to see you succeed. And so they're not, you know, giving any feedback uh, for any ulterior motives or because it benefits them for any reason. Uh, awesome. You, you did, um, so you, you wrote a, a really, really cool article actually back for the CIPD back in April of this year around inclusion. And I just want to, ex I want to explore one of the, the phrases with you, if I may. Um, yeah. You, you spoke about 13 years ago, the driver for inclusion was around globalization, whereas today yeah. it's around necessity. And I think it's yeah. such a powerful message. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit for anyone that's listening? Yeah, so I was a business school graduate. I, I studied business as my first degree. And um, I remember, you know, a lot of the literature around that time was about this diverse uh, workforce and about how globalization and the globalized world and business and trade was going to influence diversity and inclusion. Um, and I guess back then it was a choice. And I think I say choice because, you know, if we fast forward 13 years later, we can't say that there's been necessarily so much transformation since then. But now we see more transformation in the DNI space because now it's not so much a choice. Uh, first of all, organizations are now uh, i guess being legislated to have more women on boards so the choice i guess is dissipating there and two the environment that we live in today necessitates and uh, depends upon the ability to leverage the strengths of not only diversity from a gender perspective not only diversity from a uh, ethnic uh, perspective or race perspective but also from a thinking perspective um, having people that think differently I think time and experience have shown that having people on your board or in your um, executive team um, or just in your team generally who all think exactly the same is not beneficial I mean, we have recessions to prove that, you know, and again, being able to go against the grain and say, no, I don't agree. Um, no, I don't subscribe to that is incumbent and dependent upon that culture of belonging that I mentioned before, but also inclusion. It's not enough to, as I mentioned, to just have a team where you've got, you know, women and men and people from different races. If they don't feel agency to be able to speak up. And so the success of organizations today to be innovative, to go against the grain, to not make decisions that result in economic and financial calamity is dependent upon people who can think differently. And that does usually mean people who look different, people who are from a different country, people from a different culture. So 
that's what I mean by it's, it's no longer a choice. I think we now have evidence to prove that we need to begin to see diversity and inclusion as essential. And I think that one of the biggest blockers, one of the biggest challenges has been perhaps people not knowing how to actually leverage the strengths of so many different people. I mean, you can imagine it, it can't be easy to manage a team of say 30 people, men and women, different cultures, different backgrounds, perhaps even different languages. How do you bring them all together to create something great? How do you bring them all together to deliver something excellent? And it, that's where we now um, look at the role of the team leader and, and their role in being able to um, manage and, and orchestrate and develop and build that team to work towards a vision and a goal to the degree that that vision and that goal super, you know, surpasses the differences that the team has. That vision and that goal is more important than the fact that this person is not from my country and speaks a different language. I've got so much I want to unpack here, but I'm really conscious of time. <laughs> um, I believe you speak, if I'm correct, did you speak Spanish? I do, I do. I studied business in Spanish. And I lived in Mexico and Barcelona for a while. Wow. Um, yeah. That's why my company name is called Juntos. Because uh, Juntos means together in Spanish. And the work I do is around teams um, and helping establish teams that are different and diverse, but that can work together and create great things, create cultures and environments of belonging, uh, of transparency where failure is okay and where failure is seen as something to learn from and, and grow from as opposed to an opportunity to begin to blame people. It's, it's really wonderful. There's something I've, I've connected this to some extent before, Louise, but not as clearly since we're speaking today. So sure. I had Amy Edmondson on the podcast a few episodes back um, regarding yeah. psychological safety. And I can see this really clear connection between if you're going to have genuinely more inclusive environments, mm -hmm. there needs to be a very deliberate, intentional safety built for people 100%. to bring that inclusion to the, to, to, the, to the team dynamic, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I keep banging on about it, but that culture of belonging, where you do feel that you can be different, but yet you, you belong and, and, and you're safe. Uh, means that you can really get the most out of diverse talent it means that you have more of a likelihood of uh, i think that building those types of environments in those cultures that are so important and so key to being able to develop an inclusive culture and the, the challenge is, is that most people who are champions of inclusion and who are what is called you know, multicultural individuals end up leaving organizations because of frustration uh, because they don't feel they can speak up and maybe challenge the status quo of how things are done or share their ideas and share their perspectives so it's really something that that needs to be established and built upon that environment of psychological safety, the culture of belonging, if we're truly going to get the most out of diversity. It's, 
So just out of interest, I'd like to ask this question because um, you're clearly a very passionate person in this space, which is amazing. Um, who or what is inspiring you personally the most right now? It can be anything. It can be family. It can be work. It can be anything. Who or what is inspiring you the most right now, Louise, out of interest? Honestly, uh, academics are really inspiring me right now, perhaps because I'm doing a master's, but um, research and academics is really inspiring me. I think that there's a huge, there's somewhat of a bit of a divide between professionals and um, academics, and I think there's work that's being done to bridge business and academics, so that you've got those that do the research, that have the statistics, that, that know the numbers, but then you've got the real world where it needs to be applied. And I think there's, there's, a, there's amazing things happening now to bring those two things together. And having pretty much been in the corporate sector, not considering myself an academic at all, but now going, you know, doing, um, leaning more towards academia right now, I'm really just in, in what I would call that sweet spot where I'm able to see what is really being um, discovered and found in research and experiments and in academia and learning how that really looks in the real world and how that can be leveraged to help shape real life business problems and just real life professional problems as well as a coach so yeah just just getting getting access to uh, this world of research is really inspiring me right now, 100%. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. And do you know something? I don't think you can emphasise the comment belonging too much, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> but, but, but I've you know, said it about a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's such an important point. You know, I've read um, Brené Brown's Braving the Wilderness quite recently. And, mm. you know, just I think people do feel lost in the wilderness. I do think a lot of people are scared based on what's going on, you know, the macroeconomic environment, the pace of change, technology, you know, and I think it's so important that people do feel they can belong. So I generally thank you for your research. I think it's so, you know, the, the dissertation you're doing, I think is so, so timely, really. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to be doing fully-fledged um, experiments and, and interviews and research. So I'm really looking forward to sharing the outcome of that and I'm specifically going to be looking at women in the workplace so there's that diversity angle on it as well that's that's going to be really exciting I'm looking forward to it. That's brilliant is, is there any help that we can offer you via this podcast are you looking for any sort of interviewees or any sort of you're looking for access to different people potentially to support you with that research out of interest Louise? Absolutely any women in technology or finance uh, Yes, I'm looking to speak to you <laughs> uh, at, at all grades at the moment, to be honest. So whether you're uh, entry level or you are, you know, in, in the Exco or anything like that on, your, on the board, any women in, in finance and technology. Right. Yeah, I'll be looking for you. <laughs> well, we'll put out a big shout out via the podcast for you so you can get a couple more, uh, couple more interview subjects for you. So that's absolutely Amazing. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I just want to start to wrap up, if I may now, Louise. Um, what I find really interesting, I just want to pop back to your April um, article that you wrote for the CIPD, because your yeah. recommendations, which I think are absolutely so spot on, you spoke about if you're going to try and develop more inclusive cultures, you need to start immediately. You need to be informed and take decisive action. 
and this is the bit that really, really struck me. You need to be long-term focused and proactive. They're not two words that most work operates with today, to be completely honest. So I think that's a really interesting dichotomy at the moment that to be inclusive, we've got to take our time. Do you mind expanding on that just a little bit? Just like, how, how does that show up for you in your work? Yeah, I mean, we live in a, even more so now in an instant world, everything has to happen now. And businesses and organizations can be so short-term focused. Uh, we want rewards today. So we take action that isn't always well thought out. We don't spend enough time actually planning and making sure we have the data, making sure we've done the research and that we've validated our approach. And I think it can be easy to go on a huge recruitment drive of as many diverse <laughs> individuals as possible. And I think that that's a recipe for disaster. I don't think that's going to have any impact. I think really what has to happen is organizations need to, as, as, as you've touched upon, look at their culture. And the thing about looking at your culture is you have to work on people's hearts, minds, and beliefs. And this is difficult and it takes time and it takes consistency and it takes honesty and it takes vulnerability. And these are some of the harder things to do that don't necessarily involve chucking loads of money at it. It involves deep reflection. How can you develop and establish and sustain an environment where diverse people will want to be, where diverse individuals and multicultural individuals will be able to thrive and will want to stay and will feel that they can contribute to the organization. Those questions don't, um, the answers to those questions don't just happen overnight. And so the question needs to change. It's not how can we just get one woman on our board by 2020, or how can we get, you know, 20, how can we get 20% of our senior management grade to be from different ethnic minorities? Has to be how can we create a leadership culture and environment where anyone, whether they're a man or a woman, whether they're black or white, wants to be, wants to stay and can thrive. And that is, I believe, a culture question. Wonderful. What, what a wonderful way to, to, to be wrapping up. I love that. Love that. Oh, right. How can people reach you, Louise? If people want to reach out, have a conversation about your work, you know, maybe contact you about working with you on your, your, your dissertation. What's the best way to get hold of you? Wonderful. Yes. So please do connect. I think Twitter is a really good place. Uh, I'm Louise Karunwi, K-A-R-U-N-W-I on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please, please do connect with me there. My website will be going live and it will be louisecarunwi.com. So you can also connect with me there as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, those three uh, platforms are perfect. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure they're all added to the show notes. And look, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much, Gary. It's been amazing. Thank you. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Bye. Hi there, it's just Gary Turner, your Value Through Vulnerability podcast host, just wrapping up this awesome podcast with Louise Karunwi. There's a number of takeaways for me uh, with regard to this discussion. One of the big ones being, in an environment of belonging, you are more open to feedback. So often we talk about the difficulty in giving and receiving feedback. And I hadn't thought about it before this conversation, that actually that, that belonging, that safety, 
you know, if that's not there, you're immediately going to have your guard up and feedback isn't going to be received, even if it's intended well. Um, so really interesting point there around the link between belonging and feedback for me. I thought it was also interesting that Louise spoke about that every single trait that you have, even if negative, actually has a good element to it to at least some extent. And I think that's a really interesting point to think about. We, you know, in an increasingly polarized world where it's all or nothing, it's a really interesting point to think that even if you do have an area or a trait that can be perceived by most to be negative for somebody, someone somewhere, it will actually be seen as positive. So it's just that awareness, you know, on that spectrum or on that continuum for each of your traits, you know, where do you sit and how do people perceive you? So an interesting reflection there for me and, and something that feeds into 360 feedback quite well. I also found it was quite interesting that she spoke about collaboration and that groupthink is a major barrier to collaboration. Now, of course, if we're looking from an inclusion point of view, you know, there's, there's way too many, and I see it regularly, way too many organisations that do not have A, inclusive cultures and B, diversity to challenge this group thing. So I think this is a, a perpetual challenge, something that does seem to be starting to shift a bit. There's an awful lot of discussion around inclusion and diversity more. You know, I've just bought a book by Deborah Rue, which is inclusion branding. I'm holding that in my hand right now, which is my, uh, my Christmas read um, before I have a chat with Deborah in the new year. So really, really interested and to, to see what, what some of her work looks like. And indeed, if that is challenging, which I think it will be, this group think that, uh, that Louise talks about. I also find it really interesting that she says that we don't have to chuck a load of money at um, inclusion and diversity. It's as much about thinking. So are we being intentional and deliberate around including people? And finally, another interesting reflection for me was around the fact that the question needs to change. You know, how can we create a leadership environment where a human being of any background is able to thrive? So it's far more a cultural challenge than it is an inclusion challenge to some extent. So yeah, they're, they're my key takeaways. Do let me know. Do reach out to Louise. Do reach out to myself. Should you have any other thoughts or feedback, it'd be greatly appreciated to hear more from you. And um, as we're now on the 21st of December, as this is being recorded, I wish you one and all a an exciting and prosperous entry into 2019 and all the very best for now. And if you could be be kind enough to leave a podcast review on the iTunes podcast app. That would be really appreciated and all the very best for now. Take care.